Please turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 115. Psalm 115 in your Bibles. In a moment we're going to be looking at this this psalm in Psalm 115 which compares the true and living God with the idols of the nations and showing how we are to trust in the true and living God. Psalm 115, let us hear God's holy and infallible word. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? But our God is in the heavens, he hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes have they, but they see not. They have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. They that make them are like unto them, so is every one that trusteth in them. O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. The Lord shall increase you more and more, you and your children. Ye are blessed of the Lord, which made heaven and earth. The heavens, even the heavens, are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. The dead praise not the Lord, neither any that go down into silence. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth forevermore. Praise the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. We'll now come once again to the throne of grace as we pray before Almighty God. Please stand if you're able. Father, Lord God in heaven, our great and mighty God, Father, as we have read in thy precious, holy, and infallible word, you are in the heavens. O Lord, you have given us every good and wonderful thing that we have. You have given us the health, O Lord, that we have this morning to be able to come here. O Lord, help us to have attentive hearts and minds to hear from you here this morning. That we would receive it, Lord, not as the word of men, but as the word of the living God. Father, we pray, O Lord, that we would see of thy glory, thy goodness, And Father, we pray for thy blessing upon us here this morning to help us to understand your precious, holy, and infallible word. Feed our souls here this morning, O God. May the heavens be rent, O God. May you dwell in our midst. Father, may this be a special meeting where we would hear from the shepherd of our souls. And Lord, may we have a sense that that it has been good, O Lord, for us to meet with our God here this morning. Father, may we see of your greatness, your infinite goodness, and then may we also, in seeing of your greatness, your beauty and your love, 
May we see, O Lord, that the idols, while they have mouths but they do not speak, they have eyes but they do not see, ears have they but they do not hear. O Lord, help us to see how wonderful you are and how horrible idolatry is. O Lord, Father in heaven, our great and mighty King, exalt thy Son this morning that we may glorify thee. O Lord, be in our midst. Strengthen us, O God. Father, we do not deserve the least of thy mercies. Help us, strengthen us, and may we look to the only source of goodness, that is God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Our preaching this morning will be from that text, Psalm 115, Psalm 115, looking at giving God the glory, giving God the glory. How many of us have gone to clean up parts of our house or clean up parts of our our garage where things have been stored possibly for many years and You know, you usually throw away something for a while. You're not quite ready to throw something in the bin. And what does it do? It ends up in the garage for a number of years. And then what do you do when you find it again after many years? Well, does it still work? You plug it in and you switch it on. And sometimes it's not even in as good a condition as the day you threw it into the garage for the first time. Now, what do we normally do with things that don't work anymore? Things that promise us to do certain things, but don't do these things. Now, some of us may keep the parts and use it for other things. But many of us, what will we do? We'll throw it in the bin, won't we? It's no longer any good. You don't keep it. It's useless. And you wonder why you kept it so long in the first place. When we once bought a computer... First time we bought it, it was very impressive. But after five or ten years, it's not so impressive anymore, is it? We loved it at one point, but now it's useless and can't do the work for which we have bought it in the first place. Now what does that have to do with Psalm 115, the text that we're looking at here this morning? Well, Psalm 115 talks about what, or more importantly, who is impressive. Who is impressive or glorious? Who is worthy of all our praise, all the honor, and all the glory that is due to his name? And also, when we look at who is impressive, worthy of all our praise and admiration, let us also think of what is not impressive as we compare what is impressive eternally with what is not impressive, what cannot help us. When we need help. Now, friends, as we look through this passage this morning, there may be things in our lives that are idols. There may be things in our lives that we today enjoy and things that we think are very impressive. But there'll come a day when we'll see them for what they are. Hopefully in this side of eternity. That they are not what they claim to be. These things we form in our minds. These things we form with our hands even. 
That, that God who's the one we are to look to. Idols are things that originate in our minds. They start in our minds. And then begin to be formed with our hands. And this is very much a gospel issue. To trust in idols rather than the living and true God means you don't know the Lord. However, if you've turned from idols and the love of idols to trusting in Jesus, who is impressive, who is glorious, who is all that he says that he is, well, that is salvation. And that is a work of God in your heart. Dear friends, as we look at Psalm 115 this morning and we pray that you see God as impressive, not the idols. And that you would respond. And the only way that we can and the way way we should when we see something as wonderful, when we see something as glorious, our eye is drawn toward it because we see how wonderful that thing is. So the first point we're going to look at under this title, well, the title is Giving God the Glory. Giving God the Glory. Number one, God is impressive. God is impressive. So we're going to look at how in this psalm, Psalm 115, that we can give God all the glory. And we're going to look at how in this psalm, God is impressive. And this psalm is a prayer. It is a prayer which begins as, like this. In verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 115. The psalmist cries out, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory, for thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. And then verse 2, Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? This, is a, this psalm is a prayer addressing Almighty God. Calling out, crying out to God. That the enemies of God cannot have reason. Why? To mock. To say as they say in verse 2, where is now their God? This is, isn't this the mock of the world? That word heathen there or unbeliever could also be Gentiles or the nations at that time. The only nation in the world that trusted God was Israel. And whenever the Bible refers to nations, it's basically talking about the world outside of the church, which does not trust the true and living God. But what did the nations say? Where is now their God? Where is your God? Where is the help of your God? That's what the nations will say. That's what the the unbeliever says. That your God, that our God, cannot actually help us. But the the cry of the true Christian is this. In verses 1 and 2. Someone who is born again of the Spirit of God, who sees the glory of God as far more than anything that is in heaven and earth, and is far greater than anything that we possess in and of ourselves. The cry is for this, that, O Lord, not unto us, says it twice, not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but unto thy name give glory. The Christian wants all the eyes, all the ears in fact, to listen to the true and living God and to give glory unto God. 
The true Christian wants God to receive all the glory. Who has eyes to see and ears to hear. And not just in the world to come. Not just when we die do we want God to receive all the glory. In this world. In this world and in the world to come. Why? Because we see, because of a work of God in our hearts, we see that God is glorious, worthy of all the praise, all the honor. Now, we must pause for a second here and think about what does it mean to be glorious? Every Christian in the world, anybody who professes to be a Christian, will all say, oh yes, God is glorious. Is God glorious? Yes, oh yes he is. But what does that mean? Well, it has the idea of honor, doesn't it? Respect. Actually, the word in the original has this also sense of heaviness about it. Years ago, I remember I was in in a car of one of my neighbors. I was very young at the time. I think I was about eight or nine. And I remember talking about one of my primary school teachers. And I did the the big no-no, which is this. I used her first name. I didn't like this teacher. I'm not saying what I did was right or anything, rather than saying Mrs. as we would. And I remember using her first name around my neighbor, and my neighbor told me off, and he was dead right to do that. I showed her a lack of respect, a lack of honor for the position that she had. I didn't show respect. There is an honor or a seriousness or a respect or even a weight, you could say, to that position of even just in a teaching classroom because it has to be authority in the classroom. And I think most people would recognize that. Now, there's one type of honor. But there is an honor given to God alone and to none else. No matter how impressive your position may be, no matter how much money you may make, no matter how high up in government somebody may be, no matter how wonderful you are, it has all come from God. God is the source of all these things. He has made you and formed you, even in the womb. So if your position is worthy of respect, how much more than God? God's position, God's being, God's glory, who God is. It's not just of God being in a position. It's God in his, his amazing qualities. In his perfections. He is worthy of all the honor. All the respect that is due to his name. God's position and glory is far greater than any position that we will ever have. And anything we have in this world has come from God. Verse 16 of Psalm 115 says this. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's. But the earth hath he given to the children of men. So this earth, your your house, your your lovely lawn, that, that nature that you get to enjoy and the walks and things like this, where has it come from? The land you have, the animals you have, who has given it to you? God. All these wonderful things that you have, he has given it to you. At the end of the day, God is to be honored, given all the glory. Because while you may have things that are impressive, 
But God is far more impressive. You may be driving along the road and maybe even slow down a little bit. You might see a very nice house and you go, oh, that's very impressive looking, isn't it? But whatever is in this world is nothing compared to God. It's a drop of dust compared to God. It's a drop in the bucket compared to God, compared to the infinite oceans of his glory. He is to receive all the honor and all the glory because he is infinitely impressive. Impressive in a way that no one else is. So impressive we could speak about his perfections forever and ever. Can you think of anything in this world that you could speak about forever and ever? Eventually, it doesn't matter if it could be your favorite football team, it could be your favorite hobby in the world. Eventually, you're going to run out of things to say. Eventually, you may, you're going to run out of things to learn about that interest that you have. But if you study about God, you'll never, ever, in eternity coming, ever get to the point where, well, I have nothing more to learn about God. Because he's infinite. Without beginning. Without end. He is infinite love. He is infinite wisdom. Without beginning. And without end. And because you'll never run out of things to learn about God. You'll, ha- you'll never run out of reasons to praise him. Verse 18. But we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. But if that wasn't the case. If God was like us. A, a mere creature. Eventually heaven We don't know how long we'd be there until it would get a little bit, maybe a bit dull. Well, eventually, forever and ever, we're just going to be praising him. But you see, because God is so wonderful, he is so impressive, because he is infinite. We'll never, ever get to the point of saying, hmm, yeah, that was was impressive at the beginning, but the shine is worn off. That'll never be the case in heaven. The joy that we get the first moment we are brought in to the Lord's presence. And he says, well done, thou good and faithful servant. That wonderful sensation we will get in heaven will never fade. If you ever like eating your favorite food. But if, imagine eating your favorite food three meals a day. Every single day. It would get quite boring after a while, wouldn't it? But that's not like with God. He is glorious. He is wonderful. He is infinitely worthy of all our praise. And forever and ever we will be able to praise him and be in awe of him. Now in the psalm, there's a comparison taking place between what is impressive and what is not impressive. Now what is impressive is our great and wonderful God. Sometimes we have to compare things, don't we, to see how good things are. God is being compared with what often sinful man will trust in, and that is idols. God is not like us. We have to remember this. God is not like us. He's not just a stronger version of ourselves. He is the infinite God. In verse 3 it says this, But our God is in the heavens. And here's what's unique about him. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. That's impressive, isn't it? Can you do whatever you want to do? You may have plans. 
You may have booked a holiday. And maybe somebody in the family got sick. Maybe you got sick. Maybe there was a storm at the airport. Your plans or whatever you do in your life is so dependent on so many different factors all working together for it to happen. Maybe as you drove here this morning, you may not have made it here this morning. Maybe you'd have a flat tire. We are so dependent on things going right all around us, but not so with God. God does whatever he pleases because he's in complete control of everything. He doesn't depend on all things going right. He is the reason anything happens in this world. He does whatever he pleases. Does anything stand in his way? Is anything too strong for God to resist his will? Not at all. Not at all. Nothing can go wrong for God. He is not dependent on anything or anyone outside of himself. He has everything he needs. Even before the creation of the world. Even before he spoke the world into existence. He had everything he needed in himself. Why does anything happen in this world? Because God has spoken it forth. That's his power. That's his glory. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God is one Lord. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4. The Lord our God is one. Yes, there's one Lord. But it's more than that. He is unique. All-powerful. All-knowing. And he is one. Our God is not made up of parts put together. He is not dependent on anything or anyone. And put it this way, dear friends. We need this impressive being. We need him. He is unique. We will not have help like the help we have in God from anywhere or anything else. It's not possible that we ever could. All that he wills comes to pass. In a Westminster Confession of Faith, it says this, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of his own will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. And I don't know about you, but that's impressive, isn't it? Worthy of all the praise. Now, do we deserve any of the praise that God is due because of who he is? Are we, do we deserve any of it? The psalmist sees this. Not unto us, O Lord. Not unto us. But unto thy name. Give glory. Why? For thy mercy and for thy truth's sake. God is performing his will. Showing forth his glory. So number one, we've looked at God is impressive. Number two now, we're going to look at idols are not impressive. Idols are not impressive. Verse number four. Their idols are silver and gold. The work of men's hands. Their idols are silver. Now what is an idol here? It could also be here an image. Their images are silver and gold. Now often we can misunderstand what an idol is. Yes, we think of an idol as a false god, and we should. It is a false god. The first commandment, thou shalt not worship any other gods. 
before me is not just that we would set the true God aside, but we would not put any false God in the false gods in the place of God. Then in the second commandment, we read in Exodus chapter 20, in Exodus chapter 20, where we find the Ten Commandments, verses 4 and 5 for the second commandment. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness that is in the heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. The first commandment is about worshiping the true God alone. But the second commandment is even if you are worshiping the true God, we are not to approach him or imagine anything in a false way before him. The first commandment is about the true God. The second commandment is about how we approach that true and living God. Essentially, in a lot of ways, the second commandment is about worship. Worship, using images to imagine what God is like. And we really struggle with this. All of us creatures, we struggle. How do we compare this infinitely impressive, holy God? And we want to wrap our minds around who God is at times. So this is often why we'll end up with pictures, to try and imagine what God is like. But as soon as you start to imagine what God is like, what are you going to be comparing him to? Things created and made. That's the problem with images. That's the problem with idolatry. Anything that originates in the mind of man, our minds, as John Calvin would say, are idol-making factories. So, now let's look at these idols. As we think about these idols formed in the mind of man, formed by the hands of man. These idols, they look impressive, don't they? The idols of the nations, the heathen. Their idols are silver and gold. We couldn't think of any metal, could you? That's more impressive outwardly than silver or gold. If somebody had some silver and gold, that would be pretty impressive to us, wouldn't it? Silver is the most, silver and gold are the most impressive and expensive metals. And often because to our eyes these idols can look impressive, we end up worshipping them rather than the true and living God. But can the infinite God be compared to anything in this world? He cannot. He cannot. You end up with a false God. As soon as we approach the living and true God with, with idols and our own imagination, our own way we think he is, and we compare him to something in this world, we end up with a false God. This is what happened with Aaron and the people of God when Moses was gone up in the mountain. He was gone, and they formed the golden calf. Now, it wasn't that the people of God said, hey, this golden calf we just made five minutes ago, was the the actual God that brought brought us out of the land of Egypt. They said, here is an image which represents the true and living God, which brought us out of the land of Egypt. What was God's response to that golden calf? It was destroyed by Moses. Idols creep in. It is important that as we come before the true and living God, we see that these images 
They look impressive. They're very enticing. They're very impressive. Costly metals. They, they look impressive as well. They have mouths. They have ears. They have hands and they have feet. But are they able to do anything that they promise? So if you see something with a mouth, you'll often think, well, it'll be able to speak, won't it? My idol will be able to speak. It'll be able to help me in a time of trouble. They have mouths, but they speak not. What about their, their eyes? My idol will be able to see the problems and be able to help me. Our text says, eyes have they, but they see not. Well, they'll be able to hear my problems and help me in a time of trouble. Verse 6, they have ears, but they hear not. They are so useless. They can't even smell anything. Noses have they, but they smell not. They have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. What's another way of saying this? Idols are not only not impressive, they are useless. They are useless. They are powerless because they have been made by the hands of men. Anything that's impressive in this world has been made by God and he gets all the glory. Not only are they not impressive, these idols are, you could even say, embarrassing. When we were young, I don't know if any young people are here today. I don't know if anybody still plays with their toys. But how many of you would go to your toys and ask for your toys to make you a meal? I said, well, who would do that? Well, there's these toy kitchens, aren't there? Well, maybe you could eat some, some toy pizza, maybe. Oh, no, you wouldn't do that. Why not? Because you wouldn't expect a toy to be something you can eat. You would not expect a toy to be able to do such a thing. But dear friends, when we form idols in our minds, and sometimes then later on with our hands, we do think that they can do these things. We do think that they can help us in a way that only the true and living God can help us. What do you do for food? You don't go to your toys or anything else like that. You go, if you're a young person, go to your father or your mother. Someone who can help. Verse 5 says this. They have mouths, but they speak not. They can't do any of these things. We would not trust idols in a time of trouble. And we see it all around us. Recently, we were... A number of friends of mine and myself, we were at the, the Pride Parade in, in Belfast doing evangelism. And, but that's a parade of idolatry. God says, I am who I am. The current generation says, no, 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 no. I am whom I declare myself to be. And that's formed in the mind of men. And it's heartbreaking to see it. It's heartbreaking to see young people who have swallowed whole hook, line, and sinker the lie of the devil. They have trusted in their idols. And they think that their idols can help them in a time of trouble. They're probably going through difficult times. And they've grasped onto this idolatry of the generation, thinking it can help them. And for a moment, they may have momentary peace, 
But they have no comfort. They have no comfort. It's only God who can bring comfort to the weary soul created in the image of Almighty God. You run to that sin for comfort, but idols can do nothing. And how do we spot idols? What's, what's an idol? We can be believers in Jesus Christ, and we can have idols in our life. So how can we see an idol? Well, if there's something you cannot do without on the Sabbath day, a day set aside for the Lord, whatever that thing is, whether it's sports or something else that's clearly forbidden on the Sabbath day, is there a thing you cannot do without on the Sabbath day? Well, that's an idol. That's an idol. Can that idol help you to go to heaven? Yes, it's, it's the righteousness of Christ that will bring you to heaven. But friends, all of us, as we grow to know God more and more, we are to say goodbye to the idols that are really useless and cannot help us. We have to see, the more we grow as Christians, how unimpressive idols are and how impressive the true and living God is. Is Our final point this morning is, do we see what is impressive? Do we see what is impressive? So number one, we looked at God is impressive. Number two, idols are not impressive. And number three, do we see what is truly impressive? Do you see where true value lies? I'm talking about eternal value. Value that will last From age to age, in a hundred years' time, in a thousand years' time, what will matter? Whether we're in heaven or whether we're in hell. And at the end of the day, dear friends, only God can bring you to heaven, not your idols. It says in verse 9, O Israel, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The elect chosen before the foundation of the world, Israel. And we've been brought in by faith to the Israel of God. Trust in the Lord. And he will be your help. And your shield, your protector. In a time of trouble. So rather than trusting in what is useless. We've looked at from verses 4 down to verse 8. Verse 9. What do we do in response? Trust thou in the Lord. Verse 10. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, verse 11, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Now, you're only going to see what we've just been talking about if you've been born again. A person who has not been born again of the Spirit of God is going to think God is not impressive. And these idols that he forms himself are still impressive. So it must be something that you see. And why would you see it? Are you smarter than the other people who don't see it? Not at all. The Lord has taken pity on you if you see it. The Lord has given you mercy. The Lord has opened your eyes. Imagine if you were blind your entire life. Most of your life you're blind. You have never seen the sunset. People have, oh yes, people have described it to you. People have told you how beautiful it is. And you can only imagine how beautiful the sunset is. Then one day, your eyesight is restored. 
And they no longer have to tell you how wonderful the sunset is. The sun rising. Finally you see because your eyes are open to the beauty of it. To the nature around you. You see the beauty of it. And you see that's what happens to a person whom God has taken pity on. He sees what is truly wonderful and glorious. He or she sees what is truly impressive. But there's something far more glorious and wonderful even than the sun rising. And we would say if we saw that sun rising for the first time, it's far more glorious, it's far more wonderful than anything you could have put into words. And so is our God. Far, far more glorious. Where is your attention? Again, remember I was saying earlier, you know, sometimes when you're driving your car and you see these very big houses and they're very impressive looking and you even slow down just a little bit. You pay attention to what is impressive. You pay attention to what is shimmering and, and radiant. Well, do we pay attention to God? Glorious. Beautiful. And this is what the psalmist is getting us to do. Pay attention to God. Trust him. Trust him. He is faithful. He is help. He is a protector in a time of trouble, in a time of crisis. He is our only protection. And idols are not. And you may wonder why in these verses there's Israel, which is focusing more on the elect of God. Then the house of Aaron, which is a leadership role. These priests who come before the the inner holy of holies. Those in leadership here. Elders. It points out to you, O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. It's very important that we never think we get to a point in our walk where we no longer have to trust and keep looking to the Lord. O house of Aaron, he is their help and their shield. Ye that fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Do you fear God? Remember that respect we were talking about when we were younger? I think enough of us here remember a time where if you got in trouble at school with one of your teachers, you were shaking. You knew you'd get in serious, serious trouble. It's a bit of a, it's a different generation today. But you almost had that fear. And it was a healthy fear much of the time. But with God, are we in awe of him? Do we have that respect for him? It's not that we're walking on eggshells around him. Not that type of fear. But you're in fear because you're you're so in awe of his greatness, of his infinite goodness. And that you will only seek to find your protection in him. We do not want. And this will be the attack of the enemy, verse 2. Remind ourselves once again. Wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? He is the one who blesses us. Verse 12 of our text, the Lord hath been mindful of us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Little old us, little old me and my troubles and my difficulties. The infinite, true and living God who does whatever he pleases owes us nothing. The Lord hath been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless them that fear him. Both small and great. No matter your your position in the church. Small or great. Rich or poor. Everybody. 
who has trusted in Jesus Christ will be blessed by the Lord. Do you see him as impressive? Are you in amazement that he would even think of you because of his greatness? And if you see him as impressive, think about this for a second. Will you tell others? If you had a, a car that you were, you were working on and maybe you found something from the, the 1960s and 1970s and you're, you're fixing that car, you'd probably be telling everybody, I found this really old Ferrari or something like that. You'd be telling everybody. Or you got an old house and you restored it back to its, something close to its original glory. You'd be telling everybody about it. But what about our God who's in need of no restoration and is in need of nothing from our hand? If you see him as impressive, will you be seeking to exalt your own glory? Your ideas, our ideas, my ideas will lead to idols. And those ideas framed to approach God, they're unimpressive. But what God does is always impressive. It was something Solomon, King Solomon noticed at the end of his life. At the end of his life he wrote... The book of Ecclesiastes, and in chapter 1, verse 2, it said, Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. Solomon saw that literally there was, this life is but a vapor, puff of smoke of puff of smokes. We struggle with that term, vanity of vanities, but compared to eternity, compared to what's impressive, compared to what is all important, God is far more. And remember, Solomon had the greatest gold and silver and the riches upon the face of the earth at that time. But he saw where the true value was. What was really impressive is not the little things we do in this world, and we thank God for the time we have upon this world, but it says in James 4.14, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor. Have you ever seen a vapor of smoke? It just appears for a little time and then, poof, vanishes away. And the, more we, the longer we're on this earth, and the faster our life seems to go, the more we understand what James was writing there under the inspiration of God. The more we understand what Solomon was writing about in Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. We see, don't we? We get into our 40s and our 50s. We realize how short this life is in our 60s. This life is but a vapor. What should we see as valuable? It's not the money we leave behind. It's the God we pass on to the next generation, isn't it? What can you pass on to your children and your children's children? The knowledge of God. The knowledge of His holiness. When you're on your final moments, urging the next generation... To not depart from God. Why would you do that? Because you see that everything else in this world is but a vapor of smoke. And what is truly impressive is where you're going by faith and by faith alone. What or who is glorious to you here this morning? Who do you find glorious? Who is what you think is wow and you want to share to your friends? Or do you speak about yourself? Does it make much 
of idols. In the day of judgment, what will be able to, de- to deliver you? Verse 8 of our text. They that make them, that's the idols, are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. What are they like? They're dead. If you trust in idols, you have no life in you. You have mouths spiritually, but you do not speak. Ears, but you do not hear. Idols cannot help you. But the true and living God is there for all who repent and believe the gospel. Idols will bring a person to hell. But the true and living God, through Jesus Christ, brings all who would trust in his son, his glorious son, his impressive son, his magnificent son, to heaven. And one day we'll say to you, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Amen.